0: This morning, I wanted to just interject, (laughs) I wanted to just interject an encouragement to church family. The reason I want to do this is because it's become very evident to me that during times of trouble, very often times, when shepherds ought to be defending the flock, they are abandoning the flock. Instead of defending the flock, they abandon the flock. And I'm referring, like, for instance, through the Second World War, you see how the church sided in a big way with Hitler, actually, initially, believe it or not. The church seems to be pretty blind when it comes to these things. And not many people talk about it, but there were just only a handful of people in the church at the time that stood up against him. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer being one of them, and then he was executed right before the war ended, I think about a week before the war ended but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is a fantastic theologian and wrote extensively. You can look him up and read some of his works it's very, very inspiring uh, but he uh, he was one of the few in the church in that day who stood up against evil forces in the world. And evil forces in the world aren't only underground, they are also um, not just in Main Street, but what do they call that street down? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah, Main Street, Wall Street, and then the one down, down, you know, um, C- Washington, D.C. Anyway. Um, yeah, Pennsylvania Avenue. It happens all over. And the church, wherever evil is, the church needs to speak the truth. And when, ev- when evil comes against the church, the church needs to stand. And for some reason, uh, very often you don't see that happening. And I just think it's, it's ultimately the shepherd's job to protect the sheep and um, fight for, fend for, not just feed the sheep. And uh, so it's very important for us as body of Christ to know, God has called us to occupy until He comes. Did you know the Bible says that? Jesus said, occupy until I come. Don't go, on, don't go and, and wait for me to come. I want to come finding you busy. That's what He's saying. When I return, I want to find you active. Uh, your sleeves are to be rolled up, and you're supposed to be fulfilling my mandates not man's mandates, mine. And the question is, and, and I love how Tina put it on Facebook the other day. She said, so what are you going to do with God's mandates on your life? Do we, do we just abandon those for a while while we take care of, you know, um, hiding away? And we have to watch out that we don't make safety an idol. That we don't, Turn safety, our own safety and self-preservation into an idol where just it's about us being preserved. Well, no. I mean, you know, there are many degrees of risk out there that you've lived with for your whole entire life. Life has risk connected to it. You can't even love without taking a risk. I mean, there's nothing you can literally do without taking a risk. And for instance, if, if you go hide away, you're taking a risk too. You're taking a risk of what are you going to tell God one day, you know, with what you did with your life? Oh, I hid. You know, you can't, you can't say that either. So we have to move forward. We have to move on. We have to occupy. We have to be busy with the Lord's work. When Jesus went missing and his mom found him, she's says, where have you been? He says, "I've been busy doing my. I was. I've been doing my father's business, busy with my father's work." the Bible says, and ever since then he has been busy doing his father's will, and we ought to do the same. We have to move on, and I'm not getting on anybody's case. Everybody has they, Everybody has a different situation, and everybody has to use wisdom, and I'm not negating anything, but neither am I abdicating God's mandates or throwing overboard and out the window God's call on our lives. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? And so we have to be wise in these days and not live for self only. So there is a sense that the world has been put on pause on and off throughout the last year and a half and everybody holding is holding their breath waiting for the next big uh, life-size interruption. Is that true for you? I'm just waiting to see. Okay. What's the next thing now? <laughs> now what's next? The next international meltdown How many of you are ready to just move beyond just move past all of the confusion move past all of the lies and all of the deception and hey You know what you keep going are we gonna keep going right? kind of tired of all of the mainstream media and politicians just lying after lie after lie after lie and nothing ever comes of it. They just keep on lying and nobody holds them to it. I mean, I remember when Chris Cuomo came out of his basement. Do you guys remember that? And there was all these cameras set up ready for him to come out of his basement, and he came walking out of his basement only then to find out all of the video footage and pictures of him walking around downtown prior to him coming out of his basement. <laughs> Thinking about all the world leaders that just met. And you have this one picture where they're all meeting and they're all hugging and everything. Not a mask, no social distancing. And then they take the official picture. Everybody's standing 12 feet apart from each other with masks on like that for the picture. It's just, uh, it's, it's just getting so old and so tiresome. You have all, all the celebrities, you know, living it up with, you know, tax the rich, you know, everything. And then, and then you have the people serving them with masks on. But that, those are the only people. It's just getting old, isn't it? Yes, it is. Getting so tired of the whole thing. And so, uh, this morning, I just want to talk about, let's move on. Let's just move on. How many of you are ready to say, uh, if the choice is between Illinois mandates or God's mandates, I'll choose God's every day. Right? God's every day. There's no way for anyone to start again from the beginning. You know, we can't start this whole thing over and say, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to make my decision from the beginning because you didn't quite know what was going on, but we're able to move forward from where we are at right now. So today, I wanted to share with you a few things to keep in mind as part of your forward-moving strategy, your forward-moving strategy. If you're saying, I'm, I'm ready to move forward in life, then this is for you. If I'm ready to move forward in my marriage. I'm ready to pull the trigger. I'm ready not to get, I'm just saying ready to actually get serious with the life that I have, if that's you, then this is for you today. I'm ready to, to, to be the parent I'm so supposed to be. I'm ready to be the spouse I'm supposed to be. I'm ready to serve the Lord the, the way I'm supposed to serve the Lord. If that's you, then today is encouragement to you. And I have a few things that we need to consider in moving on. It's part of a strategy. And you have to be very aware of what's going on around you because just everything that you have around you could be a temptation, a test, Or a lesson of some sorts, right? A temptation, a lesson, or a test of some sorts. And the first I want to talk to you about is to listen to pain. You have to listen to pain. You have to listen to disappointment. uh, Don't ignore these things. You see, pain is not your problem. Pain is simply speaking to you about your problem. When you have a pain, you know, in your foot, you know, like something is wrong. It's just telling you something is out of order. Whenever something is out of order, there's pain there. When something is dislocated, there's pain there. And the pain is only telling you that your shoulder is dislocated. So pain is speaking to you about your problem. And many people tend to look to their problem and use it as a crutch. And, you know, they, they embrace their problem or they embrace their pain. And, but that's no way to move forward. You need to learn from it. You make decisions now that there is a pain, now that there is a void, or now that there is heartache. And others look to their pain, and and then they choose to identify with it, and they choose to identify as a victim because of it. And you know, none of us are true victims. We all deserve hell, right? <laughs> You know, if you, if, you were, if you were perfect, then you never deserved any hardships. Let me say that again. If you were perfect, perfectly holy and righteous, you, didn't, you wouldn't deserve a hardship. The only one that received pain that didn't deserve it was Jesus. The only one ever throughout history that didn't deserve to be disappointed, it was Christ. And nobody took his life, he gave it. He's not a martyr. He gave his life. Nobody took it from him. So, pain has a purpose, which is to help you identify the cause and then do something about it. Do something about it. So you can move on healed. Move on with more wisdom. Move on knowing more. It's a test, it's a temptation, it's a lesson. And I'm amazed at how the world is experiencing so much pain after uh, being lied to over and over and over again with the mainstream media for an entire year. But then they continue to follow, you know, they continue to follow. You see, pain is a teacher. And when you were a toddler, you may have touched the hot stove and that was your lesson. That pain taught you something. The pain from the burn caused you to jerk your hand away from the stove and now you know better. Now you're better off for it. And sadly, in life, many repeat the cycle of pain because they refuse to listen to pain. They refuse to learn learn from pain. And in order to move forward into the right direction, you have to ask yourself this question. What is your current pain, discomfort, disappointment telling you, teaching you? What are your regrets teaching you? I don't think there's a person in here that does not have a regret. And every one of us can learn from the regrets that we have. A regret ought to motivate you. Like one of the things I regret is not actually really getting into scriptures sooner in life. You know, you could say one of the things you regret is not getting into scriptures sooner in your life. I actually have to say I regret not getting into scriptures sooner in my ministry life. (laughs) You know, I really wish that I, I jumped into knowing the Bible But then again, you know, we're just thankful, aren't we? Here we are. So we can move from where we are at. So learn from pain and move forward with greater wisdom. Learn from regret, move forward with greater wisdom. Wisdom is from God. God says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God will give to him. So always ask God for wisdom. Because there's nothing more disappointing than seeing a very intelligent person with no wisdom at all. And there are many of those. Intelligent people with zero wisdom. So we have to thank God for wisdom. Let's do that right now. Let's raise our hands and let's say, Father God, we pray for wisdom in all of life so we may glorify you with the life we've got. In Jesus' name, amen. Nothing worse than going like, man, I wish I learned this when I was young. <laughs> imagine, if I started, imagine if I started investing back then. You know, these, these thoughts come in. You're like, but we need the wisdom of God throughout life. Number two, in regards to moving forward, I want to encourage you to recognize God's people in your life. To recognize God's people in your life. God has people. Now, we know the devil has people. You know who they are, actually. They're pretty easy to figure out. They're the ones that cause you to walk away from God, not towards Him. It's easy to find out who's not from God. But God has people. And He calls people into your life. Moses was called to save the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Moses had a people. Elijah was sent to save the widow at Zarephath. Elijah had a people. Jesus, he came to save his bride. Jesus has a people. Everyone has a people that God has connected them with. Is it getting cold out there? I thought so, Tina. It's getting a little cold here. Thank you, Dave. Everybody, including you and I, we have a people. We have a family. We have people that believe the same way. I was talking with somebody last night, saying, "Wow, it's just it's great to you know be with people who believe this and that, these two things." And I'm, I said, "You know, honestly, when you get around scriptures and you make the scriptures what you believe in, in other words, the answer is yes." Okay, now what does the Bible say? I'm going to submit to it. Uh, You you have the same, almost everything, right? (laughs) You believe the same way in almost everything. And it's nice to find a people with hearts cut from the same cloth. Those are your people. And, And God has called you to recognize the people that He has in your life. Recognize the people God sends you. And some of these people God places in your life will have different personality types. And uh, so it's easy for people from different races to get together because it's actually not about the nationality. It's actually about the biblical truth that unites us. People from all different walks of life can become part of one family. Not because they're in different careers and they earn different amounts. Um, they're in different classes. or But they can... They can unite because the thing that unites them is the truth that they unite around. How many of you have ever traveled and you, and you met somebody who loved the Lord? And you're like, wow, it's like I'm, I've known you forever, right? You walk into somebody who knows scriptures and you start talking to them. It's like, wow, it's like we knit at the heart, right? And that's your people. So recognize the people that God sends you. And some of these people that God sends you is totally not like you. Very, very different from you. Different past experiences, different nationality possibly, different nation possibly. There could be a warrior like David, a leader like Moses, a friend like Jonathan, could be a servant like Martha. Different personalities. Timid like Timothy, bold like Paul. (laughs) All over the spectrum, but cut from the same cloth. Knit at the heart. But one thing is for sure. We as brothers and sisters in the Lord should give up the idea that relationships are simply for convenience sake. Many people are like, you know what, I want a friend. Let's go hang out at the bar and find a friend. You know, something convenient. We have to give up the idea that friendships or relationships are for convenience. They're not for convenience. Neither are they for sympathy. Because many times people seek a relationship whose shoulder they can cry on. Now, I'm not saying there are no relationships like that, but that's not what qualifies a person to be in relationship with you. It's the fact that you cut from the same cloth. You unite around the same truth, biblical truth. And they're, in fact, a part of God's plan for your lives. Relationships. And God sends you certain people so that you can move forward. You see, some relationships are simply too expensive to have, Right? You should should just be done with some relationships because certain relationships cost you your strength. The Bible says so. It says, men, don't give your strength to women. Not speaking about your wife. Don't give your strength to them. Other relationships cost you your confidence before the Lord. Some relationships are just very expensive. And then some relationships will cost you your focus because they become a distraction. Then there are those relationships who will propel you forward instead of hold you back. Relationships will cause you to be strengthened, like for instance, Jonathan, who strengthened David. He had a relationship like Paul, who confronted Peter. A relationship like Paul, who strengthened Timothy, or a relationship like Paul, who fought for Onesimus' Anis- freedom. And when we look at for examples of where God chooses to sovereignly move a person forward through the people who sends he sends them in, who, whom he sends into their lives we will never fall short in scripture it's throughout scripture from beginning to end for instance in Titus 2 verse 3 and 4 it says similarly uh, teach the teach the older ladies the older women in the church to live in a way that honors God they must not they must not slander others in other words talk about others in order to defame them They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Loving your husband and loving your children can be be trained on how to do it by somebody older than you. But here it's very clear that this is a very relational portion uh, in the Scriptures. And to move forward... Recognize and cooperate with the people who God has placed in your life. Who has God placed in your life? Who are the people that God has placed around you and brought to you and brought you to? And what are you going to do with that? Because we oftentimes, when we say currency, we think of finances, right? Finances. Currency is finances. But really... And uh, sometimes you need finances to do something or to go somewhere in your life. But, but relationships uh, is more so a divine heavenly currency in which God moves a person from one place to another place in their lives. But oftentimes what we do is we slap away a relationship because they're not totally like us or we don't like them or whatever the case might be. And um, we so push away or we become stagnant instead of moving forward. Relationships are important. So the first thing we learned is, learn from pain. It's a test. Pass it. Study it. Become better because of it. Don't ever do those things that you regretted you did in the past. Move forward. Move on. Closer to God. As we get closer to Let me say this, as we get further away from our birth date, that's a better way of saying it. (laughs) Every day I'm further away from the day I was born. (laughs) Learn from pain. Number two, recognize God's people in your life. Recognize God's people in your life. Let me just quickly tell you that there isn't a person in this room that's not going to be tested with wrong relationships just is that way. Everybody is going to be tested with wrong relationships. And everybody's, and you're going to be tested in what you're going to do with those relationships. And you're going to be tested in what you're going to do with the relationships that God did send into your life. And there's a transference of attitude within relationships that's just, that's very striking, don't you think? A transference of attitude Within relationships, I, um, Tina and I talked about it a lot as to how we've, because we've been in youth ministry a long time. Let me just use that example. We've been in youth ministry a very long time, actually, since, since the 19, 1992, I think, 1993, I went to the youth ministry. And all I can tell you is you'll have a kid with a really great attitude get around kids with not such great attitudes. And the bad attitudes don't ever get better because this good kids attitude The 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 it's always the good kid that adopts the the bad attitudes How is that? It's like if you have a barrel of apples You throw a bad apple into the barrel of good apples. They all become bad But if you have a barrel of bad apples and you throw a good apple in there (laughs) It doesn't turn the bad apples good, right? As a matter of fact, it's a biblical principle. It says, it says um, bad company corrupts good habits, period. The Bible already said it. It's not that when a good kid joins bad company, the bad company has good habits. It's not that way. It's simply that, hey, if you join bad company, your good habits will be destroyed. And so we have to realize that relationships, you always have a relational test. Relational test. Samson failed many of them. But some relationships are there to take your strength away. But it's an effort. It's easy to find bad friends. Easy. They're all over. But to find those that God has sent into your life is sometimes difficult and expensive. Time-wise. And then thirdly, to move forward, we have to keep walking in the right direction. It rings so true for me all the time throughout this weekend, too, speaking to many people. It's not, like, it's not like my repentance is perfect when I repent. Why not? Because I'm not perfect. I can't hardly do anything perfect in my life. Not even my repentance is perfect. It might be sincere, but imperfect. And even repentance is not a destination. I didn't arrive at the place called perfect. I repented, and here I am now, perfect. Perfect. Never to do this again, ever. There's no such thing. My repentance before God is never perfect, but it has to be continuous. My heart attitude has to remain the same throughout. So repentance is not a destination. Repentance is an attitude. Repentance is a direction. So it's important for us to keep walking in the right direction. In other words, live a repenting life. Live a life of repentance. Be a repenting individual when God created you a new creature. He created you a creature with eyes wide open He created you a creature with ears that work with a heart that can respond and every time when you have to do course correction Your eyes tell you you need to your ears tell you you need to your heart tells you you need to your conscience is screaming course correction course correction So we have to live Lives of repentance. And there's a teaching that says, well, no, repentance is a work, and you cannot be saved by works. Therefore, you're not saved by repentance. But it's because those people who say that don't realize two things. Number one, repentance is a gift from God first, and then it's a command from God to us, right? Repentance is a gift to us from God. And then he commands us to repent. It's both a gift and a repentance and a, and a command. But the second thing they don't understand is that those same people who teach that repentance is no longer part of the New Testament because it's a work and we no longer call to works, they will teach Romans chapter 12 verse 2 all day long: "Do not be conformed to this way, the ways of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind." Well, that's repentance. That's repentance right there. It's to change the way you think and live. So they'll teach that verse all day long, but don't ever say the word repent. So we have to keep walking in the right direction. Keep walking in the direction. Have the attitude, a repent, a attitude of repentance. This is part of who we are. You see, everything continually changes. weather changes. People change, circumstances change, and that means your horrible situation will eventually change. <laughs> Hopefully not for the, for the worse, but for better. Somebody's trying to sell me something. It's okay. I won't buy it. Keep walking into the right direction because God's power in your life takes place while you are serving Him. While you serve Him. Most people are waiting for everything To go right before they make the hard decisions. This is a deception. They're waiting for everything to go well before they become generous. This is a deception. They're waiting to serve God when they're no longer so busy. When do you think that's going to be? They're waiting for perfect circumstances. Before they make a decision. But I believe that the new creature, the regenerate heart, is urgent for these new sets of values that the new creature appeals to, and those are heavenly values. Allow God to stoke the urgency within your heart. So keep walking in the right direction. Because God's power in your life takes place while you're doing so. In other words, keep walking in the attitude of repentance. Course corrections all day. Allow pain to teach you. Allow relationships to teach you. Whenever God speaks to you, allow it to be a course correction. That means you're living a repenting life. Even though your repentance is imperfect, it's continual and it'll have effect in your life. In Psalm 30, verse 5b, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but weeping, but joy comes in the morning. I don't know about you, but isn't it just a wonderful feeling after having done the right thing, especially if it was difficult to do? Isn't that a good feeling? Like you go like, wow, did it. <laughs> you know, I did it. I repented. Wow, I did it. I confessed wow I did it I I I gave myself I gave myself wow I was generous wow you know God's God's grace really helped me become the person I know he wants me to be so we've learned that we have to learn from pain we have to recognize God's people in our lives we have to keep walking in the right direction number four we have to endure correction We have to endure correction. Because without enduring correction, how are you moving forward? The unteachable person is the one who actually never does move forward. You met that kid in the class? He just can't be taught. Everything just ricochets off of him. He's like his own person only. That's all it is. (laughs) He's reached his max at the age of 12. You know, I've maxed out my potential. <laughs> the unteachable person has maxed out their potential. That's just the way it is, isn't it? That's about as far as the unteachable person can go. They can only go as far as what they know. They can't, can't, they can't be taught anything else. So endure correction, because that's one way to really move on. To really move forward. I mean, think about it. What all have we done wrong the last year and a half? What all have we done wrong? Yeah, maybe we've believed stuff we shouldn't have. Maybe we've believed some ministers that we shouldn't have. Because, you know, suddenly now loving is not doing what scriptures say. Because scriptures define love. You realize that, right? But suddenly that's no longer love. No, give that up. Now you've got to love in a different way. And how do you love? Do nothing. Go away. That's the way you love. <clears throat> So we have to endure correction because there is no training, no coaching, no wisdom outside of correction. As a matter of fact, there is no love outside of correction. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 3 and 6. It says, if you want to keep from becoming faint-hearted and weary, think think about his patience as sinful men did such terrible things to him. After all, you have never yet struggled against sin and temptation until you sweat great drops of blood. Referring to what Jesus went through. Yeah. Verse 5. And have you, qu- have you quite forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, His child? He said, My son, don't be angry when the Lord punishes you. In other words, when He corrects you. Don't be discouraged when He has to show you where you are wrong. For when He punishes you, it proves that He loves you. It says, when He whips you. It proves you are really His child. Something I've never liked, but I always felt guilty for not liking it, is when somebody comes to me and goes, all you have to know is how much God loves you. You just have to know He loves you. That's what He wants you to know, that He loves you. Don't you get it? He loves you. And I'm always sitting like, why am I not feeling anything? Am I rebellious? Because I want that person to stop. And I've never known why. It just really rubs me up the wrong way when somebody keeps saying that. Because, I mean, I've seen people evangelize like that. He loves you. The guy behind the counter goes, oh, thanks, dude. I love you too, man. No, God loves you, brother. I love you too, but God loves you. All right, got it. And this is the way they think the person is going to be drawn to God. Meantime, the guy behind the counter, he's going like, this guy has an imaginary friend up in the sky, and he's trying to tell me that his imaginary friend up in the sky is in love with me. Yes, I'm buying in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna buy into that, I love it. No, nobody falls to their knees begging God to forgive them and save them because some guy with an imaginary friend told him that his imaginary friend's in love with him. That's how these people, these people understand it. The Bible explains it to us differently. When you realize, when you realize that it's God who's correcting you, is when you'll know that he loves you. Look at what it says. It says in verse 5, and have you quite forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, his child? He said, my son, don't be angry when the Lord punishes you. Don't be discouraged when he has shown you where you are wrong. For when he punishes you, check this out, here it is, for when he punishes you, it proves that he loves you. Many proofs that God loves you. The fact that you realize you need Christ to save you from the wrath of God against your sins. This, when that becomes a realization to you, that is proof that God loves you. Why? Because that's proof that He just opened your eyes. That's proof. When you realize what happened on the cross, when you know that that was a gift for you, you see Christ hanging on the cross, you realize that is God's love for you. When, you. when your conscience brings you to a place where you go like, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Have mercy upon me. This, when that happens to you, God must love me. Because I couldn't repent like that by myself. How do I know that? Because I've, I never needed to repent like that. My whole life, it didn't bother me at all. I loved my sin my whole life. Now, I have this love-hate relationship with my sin. I'm tempted by it, and I'm crushed because I am. And now I beg God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Well, this is proof that something happened to me, and it was God who did it because He loves me. So you know God loves you when you realize you need a Savior from God's wrath. You know, you know you're loved by God when you realize that Christ, hanging on the cross, became that Savior for you. That gift came to save you from God's wrath. You know God loves you because suddenly you have an urgency to repent before God. You know God loves you, ladies and gentlemen, when He corrects you. When He disciplines you. It says it right there. Hebrews, 11, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 3 and 6. For when he punishes you, it proves that he loves you. <clears throat> Many people's theology tells them that, no, God, man, God loves this guy. He just gave him a brand new BMW. Well, those aren't, those are today's, what's today's? God just gave this man a new, le, a new uh, Tesla, I <laughs> almost said Lexus, Tesla. Man, God must love that guy. God's favor is all upon him. Look at his new house. Well, that, that's true for gates too, you know. <laughs> Think about how much God must love Mark Zuckerberg. Now, that couldn't be true. <laughs> it's like, uh, just kidding. We have to know what to look for in order to realize, to know that this is the love of God in my life. Don't look at all the wrong things. Because when that goes away, suddenly you wonder, does God still love me? Do you know what I mean? If your idea of God's love for you is a new Tesla, what if somebody steals it? If you think the love of God is shown to you because There's no crisis in your life. What hap- what, when the next crisis hits, what then? Does God no longer love you? Your understanding of the love of God has to be scriptural in order to... Because, if, you know, when you become confused, that's when your theology comes home, home to roost, right? When crisis hits, your theology comes home to roost. Does God still love me? I know He loves me. He opened my eyes to my need for a Savior. He showed me... The gift of the Savior. He birthed within me this gift called repentance. And suddenly now I'm begging God to, rep- to, to forgive me. And oh, I can see God reprimanding me right now. I can see God disciplining me right now. And this is also another proof that He loves me. So endure correction. Endure correction. And sometimes correction, God brings you correction through other people. But be teachable. And there's no way to be teachable until you are humble. The problem with the person who's unteachable, his problem is pride. That's his problem. And then finally, number five, in order to move forward, stop burning daylight. Stop burning daylight. That's what Satan's doing, I can tell you. In the churches, across the board, ministries across the board. Some of them still shut down. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. I'm just, I'm just shocked. Stop burning daylight. So we've learned. Learn from your pain. Recognize God's people He sends into your life. Keep walking into the right direction, having an attitude of repentance. Endure correction. Be humble enough to be able to do that. To learn from somebody. And number five, stop burning daylight. Stop wasting time. Stop hiding. Stop stop putting your life on pause because culture told you to do so. Government told you to do so. God God never gave you the right to put your life on pause. Never. He didn't say, yeah, submit yourself to this guy's mandate instead of mine because he's Trump's mind. It's not so. Throughout history, we'll see that the church... Of the Lord Jesus Christ always held on to God's ultimate mandates in their life so stop burning daylight daytime or daylight Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 love this verse if you know there are things you need to do with your life get after it it says if you wait for perfect conditions you will never get anything done see that it's a great verse print it out and put it on your fridge. (laughs) If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Get after it. So if you want to get ready to move forward, listen to the pain you have. Recognize and cooperate with God's people He has placed in your life. Endure correction, if you're humble enough to be able to, and then stop burning daylight. Get up and go forward. Amen. God has so much fruitfulness that He wants to birth through every individual in this room. There's so much God wants to do through every person, every couple, every marriage, every family. And through this church corporately. But we have to decide we're moving forward in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your encouragement, Father. Pray, Lord God, that today you'll open our hearts and our minds and cause us, Father, to uh, occupy until you come. You will find us doing your will when you return. I thank you, Father God, for wisdom through it all. We don't act foolish, but we want to act wisely. We ask you, Father, for your wisdom. And now, Lord, I pray that you will make these, your people, so fruitful in the middle of a desert. Thank you, Father God, that you will multiply them in every way. Cause us, Father God, to bear greater harvests for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And the saints said, Amen.